not safe. But he's always good. Sharper than any sword, stronger than any war. The power of Colossians, the statement of Colossians about Jesus, this is really good news. Whatever the situation you see, Jesus is our future. Whatever the situation is with your children and your children's children, for some of you that are older, Jesus is the future. This is the core of the gospel as much as anything is the core of the gospel that's ever been preached. That Jesus, in him, all things were created and nothing that was created, that was made, was made without him. Jesus is reconciling and resurrecting all things to himself. This would change the way that we approach everything if we believe that Jesus is reconciling all things to himself. The, the power, and, and much of this has actually been brought about by Western civilization. The power of the systems of empire and the power of the world, the world system of power annihilates and even kills but does not defeat. You can shut something down and you will not defeat it. This is what, this is what China's dealing with right now with the underground church. The only way they can defeat the underground church and they won't defeat it. They can't defeat it. You cannot defeat it by annihilating it. This is why Constantine said, let's become friends. This is why Europe... If you go into any church in Europe, the bishop has a big old throne. Let's make him a part of the government. Let's make him a part of the empire. The, the, the powers that annihilate never defeat. But this is the power. Jesus defeats but never annihilates. That's the power of Jesus, and it should be the outworking flow of the gospel through our own lives, through our music, through our song, through our worship, through what we say in our work relationships, in our friendships, in our family. The, the way in which we operate, when, when you annihilate, when you kill off someone, you don't defeat them. The power of Jesus never annihilates, but always defeats Right? It never kills. Defeat. What does it do? It reconciles and resurrects you back to your original calling in, cre in creation. This is what we should be hoping for for our world. Not for people to be like me, but for people to be what God created them to be. Ultimately. The goal, the goal is in Jesus, you're reconciled to what you were created for. When you're praying for people, Jesus, thank you that in Jesus, in Jesus, you can take 
a seed in the midst of a rubble of a broken down family, and you can raise up a young son out of a broken family, out of a divorced family. You can raise a son up out of a broken, divorced family, and that's and how many have you found like this? And that son or that daughter comes out of this broken family, and they become what? An amazing flowering tree. And actually, it's not just, it's not just the good news that they survive and they come out of that brokenness and that rubble. It's that they actually reconcile not just the future of that family line, but they actually reconcile the past. Everything that your family prayed for, even if they didn't know even who they were praying to, you become a reconciler in Jesus even for your parents' prayers. Sometimes they didn't even know they were praying. Sometimes they did. Sometimes they prayed so hard. I remember meeting a, a divorced man one time, and his, he, was, he became this amazing worship leader. And I won't mention his name, but he's, his wife left him for another man because she had prayed for him so long, and he would never became what she thought he'd become. So she goes, runs off with this other guy that she thinks is what she wants now. Breaks this poor guy's heart. Now he wasn't, he wasn't saved when she left him. So she had some sort, somehow justified in her heart, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm following Jesus, I've been praying for my husband for all these years. He's not saved, not doing anything with his life. And she takes off with this other man, and then the other man leaves her within like just a few months. You know this story, you know? And then years later, he's leading this big worship thing, putting out a new record, and she shows up. He's moved on with his life. He's a worship leader now. And she shows up, and there she is, crying and weeping. Why? Because he had become everything she prayed for, but she wasn't willing to wait for. This is the power of the gospel of Jesus. Is Often we pray for things, but we don't have the ability to wait for it. And, and we give up on family. We give up on all, all these things. We give up on people, and all of a sudden, I, I've seen it over and over. Young people coming out of these broken families, and they become these incredible lights in these incredible, almost gardens, and their own families become whole. They become... Literally, through the power of Jesus reconciling all things, Jesus is the future, but Jesus is also the past. Jesus redeems not just your day. Jesus redeems your entire lineage. He makes all things new. That's a powerful... That should get us really excited, I think. So this is, this is where we start. Am I preaching that hard? I mean, I don't... <laughs> Usually I'm kind of a laid back speaker. That was a little bit, he's like, yeah, this guy needs some water. <laughs> you know, uh, the, <laughs> so I, I think in our day today, forgiveness is our healing medicine. Forgiveness when we just can't forget. You know why? Because you weren't made to forget. The very thing that keeps you a healthy human being is that you don't forget things that come inside and disrupt your health. 
You, your body was not, you chemically, there's a guy, a, a great, brilliant writer named David White, a poet, and he, and he gets into this in a book called Consolations, every, The Power of Everyday Words, and one of his is forgiveness. And you, should, you ought to read it. You can download it for free now on the internet. You know, Go for it. And, and so, and what he says in there is, you weren't created to forget. Physiologically, if you forget, you're not a healthy human. If you're waiting to forget in order to forgive, <laughs> we don't forgive. We don't forgive because people deserve it, and we don't forgive because even we want to forget. You don't want to. For, it's not about forgetting. It's about how I, I for, I forgive so I can see again. I forgive. Forgiveness is a weapon of peace in a world of war. Forgiveness purifies our hearts to such a way, but we we weren't created to forget. When we just can't forget, it's sharper than any sword and stronger than any war. Father, forgive them, Jesus says. We never even asked for forgiveness. Isn't that something? I don't even think we were repentant when he said that. If we're waiting on people to say, I'm sorry, we're missing the power of forgiveness. Not only do you say, I forgive you before they say you're sorry, you, you, as followers of Jesus, we're an alternative people who are making, we're a part of making all things new in the world. If we're waiting on God to do it, we're missing the whole point too. Where is God when people are murdering people on the streets of Las Vegas? I'll tell you where God is. God is at our feet crying out for the, all the world saying, when are you going to stand up and live what I called you to live? When are we going to be what God, what Jesus, he showed us the way. Why do we keep thinking Peter got it right? Oh, Jesus, yeah, you weren't supposed to. No, he gets up on a cross, they strip him naked, and what's he doing? He's stripping the powers naked. They think they're shaming him, he's shaming them. That's the power, guys. This thing we believe is crazy, it's backwards, it's upside down, it's convoluted. You're going to need an artist to help you sort of figure it out, because following Jesus, it is not safe, but it's always good. It's always good. It's not safe. If anybody told you, come and follow the Savior Jesus, they were a liar. Just come into Christianity and you won't ever have to forgive somebody who actually isn't even sorry. If we just keep forgiving these people, we're just fools. Remember years ago, I I wrote a song called It Ain't Easy. The second verse of that song, it ain't easy learning to love like you. I've been learning to be a father, but I really don't know how. That's a great way to start a song. (laughs) That's why I haven't written a book on parenting either. (laughs) You know, I'm learning to be a father, but I really don't know how to be willing to care for others more than I love myself. It ain't easy. It ain't easy learning to love like you, Jesus. And I'm learning to 
What is it? And I'm learning. What, do you remember? Is Al around here? Can you help me with these words? Do, do you have the word in and easy back there? I just got off on this. What a, you have that? Do you have the... I got myself out here. Can you give me the second verse? I wrote the song, but I can't remember it. I'm, I'm, I'm learning. Oh, yeah. And I'm learning to, I just, see, this is this why I have notes. And, and I just got off my notes. See, I'm learning to love my neighbor and to live by the golden rule. But it's so hard when I've been lied to. I feel like a fool for giving a fool. It ain't easy. It ain't easy learning to love like you. And I'm learning to be faithful with the little that I have. To do like Jesus and turn the tables. How did he really turn the table? To give it all to get nothing back. So I just want to start this this morning. I have this, as I was listening to the worship, I was being so inspired spiritually and, and, um, and then the prayer and I, I opened up my Bible and I forgot that in my Bible, and I'm going to talk to the, to the students tonight about this, but I have a few little items that I kind of have in my life, prayer things and some more linear things. But I, in every one of my Bibles, even this little one that I have so I can just put it in my back pocket and I always have it with me, you know, uh, I, have, I have what's called the love test. And this, I, I, I got this. You might want to write it in the front of your Bible. It's a great reminder for me. When reading the scriptures, ask myself, is this making me love better? And when I'm reading the scriptures, this is my love test. If, if it isn't filling me, with love, I mean the kind of love that we're talking about, learning to love like Jesus. If it isn't filling me with transformational power to love, even my enemies, to pray for those that persecute me, to sit down with somebody that's the opposite of me and see the beauty of Jesus in them and actually say it to them. If reading the scriptures is not causing me to love more, and be filled with the love of Jesus more, I'm probably reading the scriptures inaccurately. Now, I was brought up to read the scriptures for everybody else except me. So if you ever do that, if you ever find yourself in your devotional time and you're just thinking of all the people that need to hear this, you're already off. When you read the scriptures... Is it causing you to love more? Is it causing you to see better? Is it causing you to be filled with the faith of Jesus, to see things, to make all things new? Or is it causing you to judge or to... Have you ever met somebody that prays all the time? And they read their Bible every day, like an hour and a half. They're like really serious about it. They like read their Bible all the time and pray all the time. And they actually become definers and judgers of everything around them. 
and they lost, they lost discovery a long time ago. They never ask questions anymore. They don't even want to get to know you. They just define everything. If you're not careful, you can go read your Bible your whole life and just become a definer. And, and long ago, you lost discovery. Wonder has been long gone. You don't even ask people their names anymore. You don't even want to know their stories. You don't even want to know if they're on a journey. And you certainly aren't hopeful that Jesus is making them fully reconciled. Right? You're just... And I'm sorry to say, for a lot of us, we've got 40,000 denominations in Christianity in the world now, and we can't even sit down at the table probably around John 3, 16. And yet we're all praying, and we're all going after it. We're all praying, we're praying, we're praying, we're praying, we're praying, we're going after it, we're going after it, and we're defining, we're defining. We're more judgmental than we've ever been on all sides. Like, go to, go to uh, Ireland and talk about Jesus. And then wonder, how long is it going to take us, to, how long is it going to take for Ireland to be restored to what Jesus really created them for and those people for? It'll make you cry. Because what you'll see is in the name of Jesus, a bunch of people were praying really hard and killing each other. For years and years and years. And the young people don't want anything to do with Jesus. And we say, oh, why don't they want anything to do with Jesus? They don't want anything to do with Jesus because there was a bunch of people praying and killing at the same time. The question isn't how much you pray. The The question is how much Jesus do you let into your heart and your mind when you pray? If you do not love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you, you probably should choose another religion. There's a lot of them out there. But whatever kind of Christianity we practice when we judge and we don't even ask questions, it's not the Jesus way. Because Jesus is making all things new. Jesus is in the process of restoring this earth. And uh, the reason we don't, the reason there's, we're starting to see a resurge, a, a surge of leadership in our world and why we've had a lack of leadership. Even the last 20 years, there's been a lack of leadership among Christians, even in the United States is because when I was growing up, we were all going to be out of here already. Why? Why think about the future? We're going to be gone. I was a kid in the 70s. We're all going to be out by, you know, certainly the early 90s. Why pray about the future? Why make all things new? Why have a hope for the future? Why live for something that will be here when we're old? Why plant a sequoia for our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren? I love that Luther quote, you know. I think it was him. Maybe he took it from somebody, but they asked him, hey, what would you do if the end of the world came tomorrow? He said, I'd plant a tree. I love that. Here's our passage today. Luke twenty-two thirty-one 31 to 32. 
I feel like we're in a, a real time in our world of sifting. And Jesus says something amazing to Simon. I love how he says it, Simon, Simon. He doesn't actually call him Peter at this point. Even though the editors at the top will say, Jesus predicts Peter's denial. But Jesus doesn't call him Peter. He goes back to his name when they began together. And uh, isn't that the greatest time of life? <laughs> you're just like, you're, you're in church and you like, especially when you have the babies and they begin to cry and they have that moment of silence before it lets it out. You know what I mean? When they're real little moms, you know what I'm talking about? And the dads, and you have a new baby and they're just born and they're like, and you run as fast as you can to get out the door. Before the <laughs> That's the best. It's the best. And the Lord said, this is Luke 22, 31 to 32. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you. Man, when I say those words, I don't know if it's just because of me, but I feel like dancing. Jesus says right after that, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when, when, that's a big word. We could just sit on that. When, not if, when you have returned to me, you'll strengthen your brothers. This is the beauty of the good news of Jesus. You and I, ultimately, even though I love singing about seeking him and finding him and going after him with all my heart, and I believe in all that, and I even believe in being awake to the glory all around me and not missing one thing. I want to I find where Jesus is at and what Jesus is up to. I want to know what the Father's saying. I believe that it's absolutely critical to our humanity. Jesus is, shows us how to be perfectly human, not just to be God. And what does it mean to be perfectly human? It's not craziness to say, I want to do everything I see my Father doing, and I want to say everything I hear my Father saying. This is a life that we want to live, right? I want to see these things. I want to know where God's at. I want to know, what are you up to, God, in these days? But the good news is, ultimately, I am not the one who finds God. We don't find God. God finds us. So who do we find? We find ourselves eventually, hopefully. And when we do, we find the one who found us and loved us long before we could find and love ourselves. And this is the story of Peter's life. This is the journey of Peter. Half the time, he doesn't even understand what Jesus is doing. He's arguing with Jesus all the time, telling him how to do it differently or better. Even in this instance, Jesus is telling them exactly what they're going to all do. It's actually a lot of the passages say they, when you return like them, when they, that 
Satan is asked to sift them like we, some of the translations. So it's like there's this idea of Peter's always arguing with Jesus. I'm not going to deny you. There's this whole journey. This is like sort of in the center of their journey. I, mean, I think a Mount of Transfiguration is the center, but it's like the beginning of their journey. I just love it. I mean, Simon is not catching fish. They've been fishing all night long. He's not catching fish. They bring their boats in. He's heard about Jesus from his brothers. His, Jesus is in preaching to the crowd. The crowd is so large, it's pushing in on him, and he needs to get out from the crowd. So he asks Simon, can I use your boat? Now, this is my imagination, but it's sort of like, yeah, I mean, we've been fishing all night and haven't caught anything. We might as well use it for something. You know what I mean? This is kind of my thoughts. But it, so Jesus uses his boat and goes out from the crowd on the water and preaches to the crowd. And when he finishes, as if to say thank you to Simon, he says, well, why don't you boys cast your nets on the other side? And they cast the nets on the other side and they bring in such a haul, it's breaking the nets. And Simon knows something's up, and he says at that moment, Lord, Lord, get away from me. I'm unworthy. Now, this is a telling thing about Jesus. Jesus does not say, I forgive you of your unworthiness. That's a beautiful thing, actually. He says, come follow me. Come get closer to me. Come be with me. Come spend time with me. And you're going to become all that I created and called you to be. You're going to get a, we already know the process. You're going to get a, what's, what happens? I, I love it. I wish there were more uh, of these circular journeys in the scriptures where we got to see more lives like this because it's so human. It's so much, there's so much hope in this. But Simon goes through the whole journey. I mean, who do you say that I am? Oh, I say that you're Jesus, the Christ, right? The son of the living God. You're the Messiah, right? And I say that you're Simon and you're Peter. I say you're Simon Peter. I say you'll always be the son of Jonah. And I say that you're Peter now. I've given you a new name. But I haven't given you a name that actually you lose that old name. I, I, I hold it all together. I give you the new name and the old name and you hold it together. You don't, you don't get rid of your past. I renew all of your past. So I come to Jesus and hate my mom and dad. It's, I come to Jesus and he makes your mom and dad in your eyes people that now are restored even in your vision of the way you see them. You forgive. You know how many people I've met that when they forgive their fathers, they forget everything that hurt them? I've, I've been with boys where one boy and the other boy were beaten by an alcoholic father, and the one boy actually walked through forgiveness and met Jesus, and he can't remember his father being like he was. But, and I, even with the, that's a miracle, because generally what I said earlier, I really believe is true. We don't forget. But the other boy can't forgive and he never, it's like he'll never have a relationship. Jesus comes in and says, not only do I make all things new, and even if you don't forget, you know what will happen? You'll start to get the vision that God the Father has for your father. 
He starts to redeem even your memories of your parents. All of a sudden, you start going, you'll start hearing these people talk. Even my father-in-law, he'll talk about his father, who was real, a brutal German dictator kind of dad. Never heard, I love you. And when you talk to him, he always says, boy, and the older he gets, it's even better. Oh, he just, he did the best he could. He didn't have a good father. It starts to change the way you see it. A story comes into it. Jesus begins to redeem your memories. You start to think about amazing things. And, and this is the way Jesus is. And, and, and so here we have the beginning. Don't, it's not about your unworthiness. It's about your becoming. And you become by being present with Jesus. You become, you become, the beginning of becoming is by being with Jesus. And thank God that he finds us and he's with us. And then we have, and then we have, um, you know, the, the betrayal and, 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 and then we have the denial, right? And all of this stuff. And what I think is so beautiful, I'm going to do this quickly, is the circular journey of the whole process, guys, is that we end up with Simon in John 21 exactly where they began. The whole journey goes like this. And, 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 and it's intentional. Jesus is intentional. Can I just, just put your hands up like this and just receive this? Jesus is present to places in you that you are not even present to yourself. You don't even know where you're going, and that's okay. But Jesus is already present to your becoming. He knows what you're becoming. Before you even want to go there, you might not even want to become that. Jesus is present to places in your family and in your, and, and, and in your children and in, your, and in their marriages and in their homes. You're not even present to. Jesus is already present. He's already working. He already has hope. He's got a plan. Jesus is present to places in this nation that we are not even yet present to. And things aren't going to get better by us thinking in our minds how we can make it better, things are going to get better by letting, letting Jesus invade our minds and hearts with his vision, his view, what he thinks. The ability to be overwhelmed by the love of God enough to say I'm sorry even if it's not deserved. Have you ever had Jesus ask you to say I'm sorry even when you didn't think he did anything wrong? For the sake of the relationship. Jesus finds Peter right there. In fact, the Bible says there's only two coal fires in the, in the, in, in, in the, in the New Testament where Jesus, where, where, where Peter denied Jesus and where, and where Peter was restored to Jesus. That is intentional by Jesus, guys. He's so intentional. It, it, that reminds me when I fell in love with Rachel. I fell in love with Rachel on the ocean front in Florida. And every time we go back to visit her parents in, in, in the wintertime, we get off the plane and we smell the air. And when we smell the air, it brings back memories. Have you had this happen to you? The smell of the air, the smell of the air of the place where you fell in love with your wife, some of you. You know what I mean? And, 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 and it brings back all of these memories. 
I'm sure the, the day will come when that will be the case for me with my own children. It'll bring back, something will bring back these memories will come flooding in. Jesus sets up on the seashore a coal fire. The smell is coming into the air. He's setting up the scene for Peter's restoration and reconciliation to what he was called to. Peter has so much guilt on him. He's so sad. Many of the disciples just thought everything was lost. Jesus shows up in resurrected form. They're just back to fishing. There's no, there's no one that can prove how long this time frame was either. Just so we're clear. It wasn't like three days. There they are, and they're out fishing again. They're back to fishing. They're back to their old ways, and they're not catching fish again. And Jesus comes along the seashore, and he says, as if almost, in my opinion, just as if almost to say, I know you're feeling all sorts of guilt and all sorts of condemnation. And you know he was feeling guilt and condemnation because when he calls out to them, Peter doesn't even recognize Jesus' voice. When you're filled with condemnation and guilt, that happens. Jesus could be speaking directly to you through your wife, to your children, through a neighbor. Somebody could just smile at you and say, hey, how you doing? You can't even recognize Jesus' voice anymore because you're so filled with guilt, condemnation. It says, John the Beloved recognizes Jesus' voice. Read John 21 for yourself. It says John recognizes, but Peter didn't recognize his voice. And John says to Peter, Peter, that's Jesus. And there's this incredible moment of desperation that I wish somebody would put in film. I wish we could put like water all through here and put you all on a boat in the back. And then have you all remember all the sins of your entire life and everything that you've done. And how you've wounded people, even your own spouses, maybe. This happens to people. They're, they'll become, as they get older, they become, they become overwhelmed with the way that they've been. I remember when I was playing one time in New York City, an old man that was a multimillionaire uh, stockbroker. He was in his 80s. He'd been divorced eight times. And I remember singing a song on a white piano in this church. It was so cheesy in many ways. I feel like I was on TBN or something. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm playing this little white piano and it's not loud. It's not loud. It's not this huge. It's not like a beautiful place like this. It was like not loud. So it's like, ding, 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 ding. And I'm playing this song, and this old man comes. I've, I, it's very rare that I've ever been moved like this, but it, 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 an old man fully cracks. 88 years old, and he had not yet given his life to Jesus. And he comes down to the front after I'd given a message on, called Dear John. And he comes down to the front, and he kneels down right next to the piano and you can hear it through the whole microphone. He begins to weep and wail. I don't know his story till later. He begins to weep and wail and, he's, and he keeps saying this is so eerie. I can actually hear it in my head. I, I can't replicate it. I wish I could. But there's this groaning throbbing in his voice and he's saying, Jesus, I wasted my whole and he just keeps saying it over and over and over and over and over again, weeping and crying. 
That's hell, if you want to know what hell is. You can't, I can't get them back. How do you get them back? When they say it's the last time. I know that's how it was for Peter and the desperation that he felt when Jesus comes walking there. It's like, I've wasted my whole life, guy, on that boat, and Jesus says his name, and he doesn't even recognize, like, hmm? And John says, that's Jesus. And what happens? He's so desperate, he does not walk on the water. I love that. He jumps into the water and swims to shore. That needs to be put into a film so we can feel that with, like, music and Something. Please do it because that desperation, we all, we all need to have that opportunity. And he jumps into the water and he swims to shore. And he is standing. It doesn't say that in the scripture, but if he jumped in the water and he swam to shore, I'm guessing he was soaking wet. Standing in front of Jesus. This desperate joy in his heart. Oh man, I get to be with you again. I get to tell you that I'm sorry. And you know what happens. Do you love me? Feed. Strengthen. So let's go back to the text. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you have returned to me, you'll strengthen your brothers. Now, the editors of the Bible, and I went to seminary, and I like editors, and I think they're important, and I love commentaries and all those things. But the editors always put, as a, in black bold, Jesus predicts Peter's denial. And I think probably Jesus did predict Peter's denial. To some extent, it's true. But, but the text says, says a word way more beautiful then Jesus predicts Peter's denial. The text actually says Jesus predicts Peter's return. Now, what is it about us? What is in us? What kind of satanic power has come into us that we want? We want people now, I, I know this is, is touchy, and I know we're almost done, but listen to me. Some of us want people to fail. I don't know why. I don't know if it's jealousy or if it's, I don't know what it is. But some of us actually, if we're honest with ourselves, because I've had to evaluate my heart after God gave me this message, and ask myself, you know, 
Is the response in my life when people leave, when people move on, is it, hey, you're going to be sifted as wheat, but I've prayed for you. Hey, your faith will not fail, and when you've... Re- And when you've returned, you're going to strengthen your brothers. Is that our response? Or is our response more, I knew you'd never make it. Or did you hear what happened to so-and-so? And and it's easy to do, guys. It's easy to do. I'm not talking about even people that lose their faith. How about people that just go to another church or another way of thinking. They just have a different thing. What if they're just, what if they live in America and they're your neighbor and they're different political preference? I'm not being political because Jesus, Jesus transcends. Jesus has his own politics. Don't ever say that Jesus isn't political. Jesus is Lord. That's the whole point. <laughs> we are not under the lordship of any politic. We are alternative people in this world who think transcendently beyond the boundaries that we make. We think those things are gonna bring justice when? Jesus and the Jesus way in our lives, Jesus invading every part of us and Jesus giving us a different vision for people. When they run, we declare over them. We pray over them. We cry out over them. Your faith will not fail. I said this last night. I'm going to share it one more time. I, had a, I, I went to go visit a, a, a Catholic priest. And uh, I went into his office. And I always love saying it because it sounds like the beginning of a joke. You know what I mean? I went to see a priest. And, and, and when I was in his office, I was just sharing with him some of my frustration with all of the ways in which you can even run after Jesus in our world and people... Even within Christianity, you'll get, you'll get written off just for going after Jesus. I mean, do you guys, you guys recognize that, that just, for, just, just, just so it's clear, uh, I know it's because we're orphans, really, in the church, because we've split up the church so much we don't even know who our fathers and mothers are anymore. I know why we do it. But you know, we, the people of God, we were to be activating what our fathers and mothers share with us. They were the ones that sat at table and argued it out. We are to be people of fidelity, not people of absolutes. 17th century when science became less of an art form and more of an absolute form, Christianity thought it had to make up the difference. And we started making all of our absolutes, and now we get together on our absolutes, but not on our fidelity. We were never meant to get together on our absolutes. I'm not talking about the big ones, guys. I'm not talking about Jesus being resurrected or those things. I'm talking about all the little ones that we say somebody's a heretic because they don't believe that little thing. There are two dogmas in the history of the church, Trinity and incarnation, period. And we make it all about all these things. You disagree on this little thing, you're out. And if you get on Facebook, everybody's telling everybody that they're a heretic, are you to call anybody a heretic? Who am I? And I just want to ask one last thing. 
What part of Peter's journey, when did the revival start? Oh, oh, it came, it came right at that moment when he was at the seashore and he swam. Really? I think the revival started in the dream of God. In the heart of God. We want to see it before we believe it, but Jesus sees it long before we all believe it. Jesus actually sees things about your life and your children's life and your family's life and the hope of a nation and the hope of this city and the hope of churches, right? He's seeing things before we could ever believe them. That's why we want to be filled in our hearts with his heart and his dream. And Jesus says over you, I'm praying for you. Jesus says over you, I'm journeying with you. Jesus says over you, even when you run. I went and saw this priest, and the priest said, I, I, I was telling him all about these little things I was saying, and then he said this. He said to me, oh, yeah. And this is amazing for a priest to say this in this day. This is how much the church has changed in our world. He said to me, he said, oh, yeah, the other day I had somebody come in here, a man I've been with for, known for 42 years, and he came in, and he looked at me, and he said, Father, and he's crying. Father, my son has lost his faith. Now, this is funny if you're not Catholic. You know what I mean? It's not funny if you're Catholic, of course. And he says, it took me 15 minutes, Jason, to realize that his son had just become a Methodist. That's funny. <laughs> and then he looked at him and he said, oh, I've got good news for you. Your son hasn't lost his faith. He's just lost your faith. Jesus is with him. And what we're going to do right now is we're going to pray for him, just like Jesus did. Just like Jesus does. Can you stand to your feet and let me pray for you? Lord, first of all, I just want you to raise your hands like this. And I want to, you know, in Jewish tradition, even their heretics are, what they'll tell you, Jews, Jews will tell you this, even our heretics are our heretics. Why? Because it's, it's about the family. It's about the relationship. It's about being at the table and being together. It's not about being scared of these little things. It's about something bigger. I just want to declare over you, Jesus is your future. No matter what's been said about you, I even say, maybe even you've realized that even sometimes your intentions are wrong, that you make really poor decisions. Maybe your entire life you've made poor decisions. Maybe it's not other people that are judging you, maybe you're judging yourself. I just, I just break off that judgment because it's getting you nowhere. And I ask that the Holy Spirit would so overwhelm you this year that this entire next 12 months, you'd be overwhelmed by his words over your life. I pray that you'll be overtaken with dreams in the night about who you really are. 
I pray that in the midst of your dreams, Jesus will begin to walk you through doorways that you didn't even know you were going to be walking through. I pray that he'll give you a completely different vision of who you are. And as he gives you a completely different vision of the way he sees you, he'll give you a, com a completely different makeup in your mind of the way you see the world around you. We are in desperate need, Jesus. In our nation, we are in desperate need of you to come to our families, even Christian families, and give us different visions for our spouses, for our children, for our cousins, for our, at Christmas, you know what I mean? It's like it can be the craziest thing. And we are in desperate need within the church. The world needs the church. be not just one in word, but actually in the heart that we're, that we're reconciled, not in our ideas, we're reconciled in Jesus. Overwhelmed by your presence, overtaken by your love and your vision and your dreams. I pray that in Jesus' name. And I also pray over us that we'd have that massive shift for everyone we meet that we would be people that are tenacious. We go after people over and over and over again. We just go after them and after them. We get around them. We're present to them. When people challenge us, I pray that we'll just respond with confident, tenacious love for who they are. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys. Thank you.